Chapter Three of Oscar Wilde and Myself by Lord Alfred Douglas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wilde in Society. In view of the curious anxiety of those who support and uphold the Wilde legend, to paint him for us as a man of fashion and social position, it may be interesting if I try to recall Oscar Wilde in his figure as a book or as we nowadays say man about town there can be no doubt whatever that he did really consider himself a person of fashion and social standing outside of his claims to literary notoriety in his writings he is very fond of using such phrases as men of our rank people of our social class and so forth rank is a good word and wilde knew perfectly well how to use it in a manner which would lead people really to believe that he was nobly born he was able to talk of his mother as lady wilde and i have heard him refer to her in certain company as her ladyship with great effect you would imagine from his manner that she was a grand dame of the first water with two or three large places to her name and retinues of servants of papa wilde we did not hear quite so frequently probably for the reason that he was not his lordship at the same time wilde could not have put on greater airs than he was sometimes wont to don if his father had been a duke now with this feeling of family about him it is not extraordinary that he should have tried to live it up to the best of his lights he opined that if a gentleman of rank is to be taken for a gentleman of rank he must not only keep his rank duly prominent in his conversation but he must also look dress and as far as possible live the part in the matter of looks wilde believed in his heart that he had the bulge of all the literary people of his time tennyson might wear prophetic robes and wide-awake hats swinburne might look the decent little ginger gentleman he was pater might pass for the profound and beetle-browed thinker on the high arts bernard shaw might pass for the bewhiskered fire-eater arthur simmons for the blonde angel beardsley for the delicate spider-legged artist but when it came to nobility and beauty of features wilde was convinced that he had them all beaten to a frazzle he was very fond of likening himself to the roman emperors he had a big face which was as he himself put it delicately chiselled and if anybody had asked him to sit for a bust of nero he would have considered that person most discerning i remember him saying to me that while it was considered among the dull english to be almost criminal for a man to speak of good looks either in himself or in another man good looks were half the battle in society of course i laughed and told him not to be a fool but he meant it all the same and nothing would make him angrier than the hint that his mouth was too large or that his face was spoiled by too great an expanse of jowl he took great care of his complexion 
and i never knew a man who brushed his hair more frequently in the day than he did he had a defect which was the sorrow of his life the arts of the dentist not being so well understood then as they are to-day but on this i do not propose to dwell i have been astonished that the published part of de profundis contains no touching and beautiful passages relating to clothes and this is all the more surprising because in point of fact wilde was to a large extent a tailor's man i sometimes think that if he had lived in the present era of homburg hats and tweed suits he would never have been famous at all he began his notoriety by fantastic dressing but as he ascended on the rungs of art to the heaven of rank his great aim was for what he termed elegant correctness hence the wild of my time consisted to a great extent of silk hat frock coat striped trousers and patent leather boots add to these a very tall clouded cane with a heavy gold knob and a pair of grey suede gloves and you have the outward man on the whole i believe that he loathed the get-up especially in the hot weather but he stuck to it like a trojan and nobody ever saw oscar wilde in london outside of the regulation harness from eleven o'clock till seven or outside of the hard white shirt and swallow-tails from seven-thirty till any time you like in the morning being a roman he must do as persons of rank did in rome and he always struck me as being garbed in perpetual readiness to walk out or dine out with the duke or prince of the blood who would one day surely be calling round for him he had a large turquoise set in diamonds which i had purchased for him in an expansive moment when we happened to be together in a jeweller's shop the occasion was his birthday and i took him to choose his own present his eye fell on this sea-blue bauble in its ring of brilliance and all question of trouble to the shopman was sunk he wore this ornament in his shirt-front of evenings with a truly regal dignity for myself i used to call it the blue light or the hope not the hope diamond being at that time very much to the fore in polite conversation in the country he naturally subsided into easier habiliments but even here he must follow the fashion or be a little bit ahead of it his suits and caps must be all of one piece his boots as worn by the nobility and gentry and his general accoutrements designed subtly to convey the impression that he owned at least ten thousand acres somewhere or other this bucolic perfection was entirely a social affair with him for he was most coy of being photographed otherwise than en grand tenue for all his official photographs the frock coat braided for preference or the fur coat with a suggestion of a silk hat on a side table bear the gree the very suggestion of literalism in the matter of appearance horrified him he desired to pass for a gentleman a gentleman of rank and nothing more and this he undoubtedly succeeded in doing to his own satisfaction in his intercourse with the 
highest in the land which was to put it plainly of a very occasional nature he always seemed to me to be a trifle strained and uneasy he longed to smack certain personages on the back but he never dared to do it with women he succeeded a great deal better than with men somehow the men made him either very stiff or very limp his bow was wasted upon them and his diffident attempts at epigram missed fire i think that women loved him because he would insist that everything was charming or exquisite and because although he was expected to talk brilliantly he really did a great deal of listening late in the proceedings when the buffet had done its harmless necessary work he would open fire and talk amazingly and fifteen to twenty women would hang on his words doubtless because their hostess had told them that mr wilde was so amusing but the men hung aloof when he came away wilde was always as eager to know how he had gone down as a debutante is eager to be informed as to the figure she cut at her first ball if one said you were great oscar he would glow with honest pride if one hummed a little he would be in the depths for a week there were women who didn't admire him in the least and some of them were at no pains to disguise the fact long before the tongue of scandal took definite hold of his name there were whispers that there was something wrong about him and when lady blank referred to him in his hearing as that fellow he became white with passion and was with difficulty restrained from making a demonstration on the whole however his social evenings were a source of joy and delight to him and he would talk of this or that party for months after it had taken place with continual notes of gratification in his voice and when as sometimes happened he went to the houses of persons who were not friends of mine i could make sure of brilliantly jewelled accounts of the hijinks and proceedings and of the honour which had been rendered to him by brave and fair alike dear lady so-and-so he would say ah a charming woman if you like came down the staircase to receive me for all the world like enone coming down ida and the prime minister was there and i don't mind telling you that he glowered at me they hate genius my boy and poor old lord blank i have never seen him before looked to me like a waiter extraordinary that a man of his position should look so rusty however i need not tell you that he was very civil to me and when i asked him what he meant by rusty he said well he wore such extraordinary clothes the real facts of the case doubtless were that his hostess was not beautiful at all that the prime minister had not happened to look his way and that despite his rusty suit old lord blank had gone out of his way to meet rather profuse deference with graciousness i don't say that wilde had no social success 
but what he had was of that curious kind which is here to-day and forgotten to-morrow and his reports of it were always slightly exaggerated it was on such a slender basis that he built up the fabric of wonder and splendour with regard to rank which he afterwards spread out for us in reading jail throughout he draws a great line between the poor thieves and outcasts with whom i now associate and people of our rank never people of our intellect never people of our culture he tells us that in prison he became a great individualist and apparently it was in prison that he became a great aristocrat in one passage in the published de profundis he actually uses the words i had inherited a noble name one need not grudge him these tender allusions and in a way there is something rather pathetic about them but their encouragement was so entirely characteristic of the man that it is impossible to avoid a reference to them in a truthful portrait that wilde did not happen to be nobly born is certainly nothing to his discredit that he should have persistently pretended to noble birth is on the other hand fairly contemptible especially as in his efforts to live up to the part he had allotted to himself he invariably succeeded in behaving in an eminently unaristocratic manner he lacked a kind heart just as surely as he lacked a coronet and norman blood was as alien to him as simple faith End of chapter 3